they will faint in the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Father Faber said, there are many varieties of human sorrow. It's difficult, he says, to compare them one with another because each one has its own peculiarity, and each peculiarity has an eminence of suffering belonging to it in which no other sorrow shares. Then he continues, so it may easily happen that a sorrow which looks easier than another may really be harder because of the time at which it comes, or the circumstances in which it occurs, or simply because it comes in a long series of other sorrows. Let's go back 2,000 years to that first bittersweet Good Friday, when Our Lady's sorrows had perhaps reached their peak. The darkness of the eclipse of the sun had lifted, and now evening had begun to fall. The cross stood there on Calvary alone against the light of the setting sun. Our Lord's sufferings had ended. And just when, in human terms, Our Lady deserved a little break from her sufferings, there was yet more. The men had come to take down our Lord's body, and so carefully they took the crown of thorns, taking each thorn out of our Lord's sacred head and loosened it completely. And then it is said that they handed it to St. John, who then handed it to Our Lady, who in turn received it on her knees with the greatest devotion. And then the saint took out each nail, one by one, very carefully and slowly, from our Lord's hand and feet. And again, one by one, they handed each nail to Our Lady. And each nail, they say, was a a fresh agony to the sorrowful heart of Our Lady. Yet, she received each nail, each crown, as a new gift from her son that just died for love of her. Sorrow, it's a part of every person's life, but all is a gift from the infinitely good God, and we must actually accept by the grace of God, because we can't do it on our own, we must accept each pain as a means of growing in the love of God. Now today we honor a great saint who is very little known to most, but who was especially dear to our Lord. In fact, our Lord called her his little flower. Only we're not talking about St. Therese this time. We're talking about St. Veronica Giuliani. She grew up in a very, very pious family. They did their spiritual reading on the lives of the saints every evening. But as the mother of the family lay dying, 
She was on her deathbed. She held up a crucifix and she called her five daughters around and she pointed to each of the wounds of our Lord and dedicated each one of the five daughters to a different wound. St. Veronica was dedicated to the side in the, the wound in our Lord's side. Now when, it, when she was just a child, St. Veronica had a very deep devotion to the child Jesus. There was an image, a painting, of Our Lady carrying the infant in her arms. And the infant actually many times came alive, to life. And on one occasion, as the infant did appear, Veronica, though she was just a toddler, she said to our Lord, I am yours and you're all mine, dear Jesus. And then the holy child said back, and I am yours and you're all mine. It's said also that the parents would often hear giggling and laughing, childish giggling from other rooms in the house because the infant would come down and actually play games with Saint Veronica. And on another occasion when Saint Veronica was out picking flowers in her field, the child Jesus again appeared and said to her, I am the real flower, and disappeared. And after her first communion, Saint Veronica asked Our Lady for one favor, just one, to teach her how to suffer. And then the infant appeared again, and uh, he said to her, Veronica, I have suffered much. And Veronica answered, I, I want to do everything that you did. To which our Lord replied, then the cross awaits you. This saint's life was filled to the brim with suffering. Yet she was never found to be in a self-pitying mood. They say that she received mystical, the mystical crown of thorns one day and it caused her so much pain in her head that she wasn't able to perform her duties of state and life. But she feared that if she couldn't do her duties, then the others would find out about her mystical crown, and she didn't want that. And she said a prayer which, if we change it slightly, can be said by us each and every day. She prayed, my God, Please, if it be thy will, give me strength to perform my duties and let these special graces never be manifest to others, but always in secret. That's a good prayer that we ask in the midst of all of our trials to be for the strength to do our work and that our sufferings never be manifest to others. Later on, she received the stigmata, the five wounds of our Lord. But despite all of these mystical sufferings that she experienced, she also had the sufferings that you and I experience each and every day. She had uh, the cross of temptation above all, and she felt great anxiety over it. She wrote a, a diary of, out of obedience 
22,000 pages long. And at one point of her life, she wrote that her most severe trial came in the form of, and this is a quote, it came in the form of desolation and sadness of spirit and from the bitter malice and fierce assaults of the devil against her holy purity. She described it this way, that so many and such horrible thoughts against holy purity and grievous sins, all at once they rushed in upon her, into her mind, and she found herself in great anguish. The agony she endured for so long confused her mind, disturbed her soul. She said that she felt so oppressed and so overwhelmed that her soul was disturbed and she could do absolutely nothing. So she prayed, and she said, O oh God, I do not offend thee in will, and I detest and abhor every wicked thought, and now and forever I tell you that my will does not wish to entertain them, rather death than that I should ever consent. Yet even after that prayer, her temptations increased, but she kept praying. You see, no matter how we feel, if our will never consents, then we have not committed a sin. The lives of those whom God chooses to love, to draw to himself, well, they're filled with crosses and trials. The nails of our Lord, just as they were handed to Our Lady, will sometimes be handed on to us. And yes, they'll cause us pain, very great pain, but always remember that any pain that comes from God is a healing pain if we let them heal us. If we not only half-heartedly accept the pain, but we wholeheartedly embrace them. As our Lord, when the cross was placed on his shoulder, he embraced it with a bear hug, and he kissed his cross. Then they become healing. St. Thomas More says that earth has no sorrow, but heaven cannot heal. But still, you and I were not the saints. Not yet, anyway. How to deal with sorrow? Well, first I would say this. If your sorrow, your anxiety and fear is the result of mortal sins, well then you've got to do away with the cause of, of sorrow, and that would be sin. Go to confession and strive to fight against that habit of sin. But there are other sorrows that we can't really control. We can only manage anxiety and the like. St. Thomas gives five remedies. Briefly, the, these are they. He says, crying. Crying is a remedy for suffering. St. Augustine tells us that tears are actually a gift from God. And St. Thomas, he explains why crying is such a, a good thing in times of trial. He said, a hurtful thing hurts even more 
if we keep it shut up, locked in, because the soul is more intent, more focused upon that which is bothering it. Whereas if it be allowed to escape through the tears, the soul's intention is dispersed, it's spread out to other outward things, and the inward sorrow is lessened. The second remedy, he says, is to, to share our sorrows with friends. One of the dangers, St. Thomas tells us, in times of trial and sadness is to turn inwardly on ourselves. You know the people who do that. When things are going wrong, you don't see them for days because they've shut themselves in their room, or they don't talk about anything at all. That's the danger. But St. Thomas says that when a man's friends condole with him, he sees that he is loved by them, and this gives the sorrowful man pleasure. And pleasure, a good pleasure, lessens our sorrows. Pleasure, he said, that's the fourth. Not the bad sort of pleasure that worldlings look for, drugs and alcohol and, and uh, completely going into the world of social media, that doesn't take away anything. But he says, if you're tired, sleep. Fifth, he says, take a warm bath and a nap. In other words, he's just saying, take care of your health. When you're sorrowful, if you've lost someone you love, if you're going through any sort of anxiety, remember, Take care of your health. You must eat. You must drink. You must get rest and exercise. These are all man ways of managing sorrow. But his fifth point is one that is oftentimes forgotten because our age, we're so involved in distracting ourselves with social media and all of the rest of it that we never do it or seldom do it. He says, to contemplate truth. The faith is the greatest consolation to those who suffer. When you're in sorrow, think of the goodness of God. Think of the sorrows of our mother Mary. Think of the lives of the saints, or heaven, purgatory, or hell. But think of the faith. Remember, those words are true, those of St. Thomas More. Heaven has a remedy for everything, for all of our sorrows. All we must do is turn to it, and there we shall find our consolation. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.